Welcome to the Better Money, Better World Show, a podcast project of Impact Capital Managers, or ICM. ICM is a group of investors who believe that by solving the world's greatest challenges, we will generate market-leading returns for investors while bending the arc of human history towards sustainability and justice. ICM members have backed companies ranging from Tesla to Coursera to Vital Farms. Collectively, ICM's 60 members manage over $12 billion. I'm your host, Daniel Pianco, a co-founder of ICM. My day job is co-founder and managing director of Achieve Partners, a leading investor in education and human capital. Here on Better Money, Better World, we'll explore the stories of our investor members, the companies we're building, and the limited partners allocating money to investors who don't just seek alpha, but also to leverage their capital to build a better world. Episodes will be released each week and feature a new guest telling their own unique investment stories, strategies, and perspectives. And we've got lots of great guests lined up. So if you're excited about what this show might teach you about impact investing and the people behind it, make sure you subscribe to Better Money, Better World, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to highlight the work of impact investors and grow the community of impact investing. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce you to our Better Money, Better World guests. Purpose is a competitive advantage for the Builders Fund, which leads growth equity or buyouts of lower middle market companies driven by impact. Builders Fund was one of the first private equity firms to achieve B Corporation status and won the B Corp Changemakers Award. Builders Fund grew out of a traditional lower middle market buyout fund called Dolphin Capital. But Mike Dutton and partner Trip Baird realized that the company's driving returns were pro-social companies that encouraged people to go outdoors or help the environment. Builders Fund has invested in companies like PosiGen Solar, bringing solar power to low-income homeowners, traditional medicinals, the leading seller of wellness tea in North America, and Mixed, a plant-based food restaurant chain. Mike Dutton served as managing partner of the Dolphin Group and co-founded Genesis Group. Catherine Hawthorne previously was at Padamar Capital and Tiedemann Advisors. Listen as Mike and Catherine describe how, by taking care of stakeholders and building brands that consumers care about, creates more value by improving customer attention and brand loyalty. Welcome, Mike and Catherine, to the Better Money, Better World podcast. Thanks, Daniel, for having us. Uh, so I'm excited to hear the story of Builders Fund. Can you tell us the origin story of Builders Fund? Yeah, sure. And uh, and Daniel and I know each other from business school, so he probably- You're not supposed to tell people that. It's top secret. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, we're, we're happy, Catherine and I are happy to be here to kind of tell you a little bit about our story and and, and to have this chat. So the, the origin story of Builders Fund is, um, so actually after business school, I, uh, I started in private equity at, a, um, at a, um, a firm called Dolphin Capital Group. I was one of the three founding partners of that firm. And we had a, a lower middle market investment strategy and raised a, a couple of funds there, really investing in companies that were below the radar of other private equity firms, uh, writing checks in the kind of the Five to fifteen million dollar range, and uh, and had a lot of success there. And in that process, really shifted our strategy towards businesses that we were really inspired by. So they were doing, you know, kind of you know either healthy food or active lifestyle, you know, getting people active, 
um, you know, looking at, you know, better ways to provide food for the planet, those kinds of things. And we really weren't, you know, pure impact investors, but we're really just driven towards these companies that had positive impact. And over the course of that, Trip and I got to know each other. Um, we had invested in a couple of companies together um, where he, his older fund and our fund would partner in on a deal. And we just started building a relationship that way. And as things evolved, we really, you know, put our heads together on a strategy of building a firm around this, this concept of, you know, these impact oriented companies will also generate, generate outsized returns and that we can put our capital to, to work and build these great purposeful companies. And we really see purpose as a competitive advantage and we can generate great returns and really, you know, built a firm, the Builders Fund on that thesis and, and went to people that we had invested with both of us in our past and raised our initial capital from them who backed us now as, as a new fund and really leverage their efforts to be, you know, what we call operating partners in our firm to really help build these new companies. And so that was really the story is each of us doing our own things independently coming together to build a firm around this idea that, you know, capitalism is a force for good. We can invest in these great companies that are really moving the needle and we're going to generate great returns because we believe it's a competitive advantage. What year was that? Oh, Catherine, maybe 2016. I think you guys Ish. came together in 2015. First fund was launched in 2016. I'm going to say I'd prefer for Mike to know the answer to that question. <laughs> he was there, <laughs> but Catherine, thanks for stepping up. Maybe you could talk about a, a deal that sort of ex exemplifies the Builders Fund approach to the world then. Sure, I could take that one. So I would say our our so we just closed our second fund and invested in a company called Posigen, which is a residential solar company focused on low and moderate income households. And so if you look at where solar penetration has really happened today, it's really in you know it's in upper income neighborhoods because these homeowners have to qualify for either a loan or a lease product, and that requires a certain credit score. And so really the market has focused on on you know the kind of the upper income uh, portion of the market, and really, if you want solar to have you know the impact that it can have on climate change, you really need to be able to sell to you know a, a broader array of customers. And Posigen was was born out of uh, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. So after that happened, this company was formed as they were rebuilding the city to put solar on on the on the new homes that were being built. And had great success there in really finding low-income homeowners who would then, you know, qualify to put solar on their rooftops. And what they found as they built a, a large book of business over time is that people who are saving money on solar energy were not defaulting on their loans. And so maybe their their your traditional credit ratings would not suggest that they were good credit, um, but really their performance history has shown that. You know they they they're not going to default on a on a solar product that's saving them money, and so we we invested in them to really grow their impact into new states, and so they're, they're now across six different states, growing like crazy. I actually, partnered with uh, another gentleman that we went to uh, business school with, Matt Eggers, who was uh, you know an LP in our fund, and you know really early at, at Tesla and Sunrun and others, and, and he's on the board there, and. And we just feel like this company has has enormous impact. It's really providing solar to a portion of the market that's been overlooked. It's having an, an impact on climate change as we're you know moving people off of fossil fuels. 
It has a great story on how it's employing people from the neighborhoods that they're selling into. And it's just one of these companies that, you know, as it grows, its impact grows. And, and it's actually, its impact is a source of competitive advantage. They're really, you know, one of the few firms who's really focused on this part of the market. Can you talk about this? Is it because the larger players like Sunrun and others are only focused, you have to have a credit score in order to qualify for the loan? Is that, is that the issue? Yeah, that's that that's part of it. That's a big part of it is, you know, being able to keep the cost of capital down um, based upon, you know, where your credit scores are coming from. So obviously, if you're a big player, if you can have higher credit scores, you're going to reduce your cost of capital. And it, and really what Posigen has done over a decade is they built a, a large backlog of of um, of debt that is supporting these solar installations. And what they can prove is that, you know, these customers are not defaulting. So there's a bit of a, a market disconnect from what you would normally charge based upon credit scores and what their actual performance has been because we're saving them money on their solar bill. And, and that really has provided a competitive advantage for them because they can say, you know, look at our history. It's not just that you know, these customers aren't going to default. It's, it's how we sell to them. And it's, you know, it's the cost that we can provide for the system. And it's the type of contract that we can build for them. And when they get into trouble, it's how we work with them so they actually don't get into default. So there's all these operational things that they have done to perfect that side of their business that we just think is, is, is unique and a competitive advantage. Was this a buyout deal or growth equity or how do you classify this transaction? Growth equity. And uh, do you do mostly growth equity or buyout? We do both. Um, we, you know, we, we tend not to have a small position in lots of companies. We want a concentrated portfolio that allows us to be really actively involved. So always board involvement, you know, many times we are the only institutional investor, but not always, um, you know, and, and that's part of our thesis is that we have to, we have to have a big enough investment for the firm and for us for it to really be meaningful where we can get our, our builders involved and, and, and help grow the business. So, you know, we, we do participate in syndicates. We tend to lead deals and we tend to have a concentrated portfolio in fewer companies. So this is a core part of your value proposition is the, the builders, your, you are a builder's fund. Talk about when you mentioned just now, uh, get your builders involved. What does that mean? Yeah, and it, it varies deal by deal. And many times they are a source of deal flow. So, you know, sometimes, you know, they have brought us the deal. You know, and another example in our portfolio is uh, is Mixed. It's a you know, restaurant chain that's uh, near where you are, Daniel. And um, they provide plant-based food in, in a fast, casual setting. And Mott's um, former chairman at Chipotle, his family ran a bunch of McDonald's stores. He's got lots of industry experience within a restaurant. He's been invested in a lot of our restaurant deals. And, and he came across Mixed and, and, uh, and you know, wanted to partner with us on it. So we invested in that company together. He joined the board um, and, and really brings his expertise and, you know, and joins it with the company and their own expertise. And so in that case, you know, a builder kind of sourced the deal, proprietary deal flow. We invested, he co-invested with us, and we partnered with him on the board, and, and we're running that way. Um, in other times, we might, you know, if it's a younger company, we might have a builder step in and, and be an executive chairman for a while, where they're spending some time on site every week, you know, coaching and working with a, with a founder entrepreneur who is really growing a big company for the first time. And, 
And what we like to, you know, tell people is, you know, we've been on this journey from, you know, 20 million to $100 million in revenue many times, and our builders, you know, many times more. And there's just things that you learn, pattern recognition, you know, transitioning from kind of, you know, passion driven to kind of more KPIs and metrics, and how do you build that into your culture and and not lose kind of the passion within the company. Well, we've been on that journey many times and so have our builders and they can get involved and work with a CEO who's maybe only going on that journey for the first or second time. I'd love to bring Catherine in, in here. Um, you know, Catherine, when you, when you think about um, the builders fund and what makes it unique uh, is this kind of purpose-driven uh, form of capitalism. How do you distinguish when you talk to entrepreneurs or even with your own portfolio once you've already invested in, in defining how Builders Fund is different and bringing not just ESG, but also impact? I think a big part of it is that uh, we walk the talk. So we are a B Corp, a certified B Corp ourselves. We've, we've been through that certification process. And that's something that we will support portfolio companies going through um, if it makes sense for them. We'll also use the B impact labs assessment as a tool and diligence, but basically that we are also subjecting ourselves to that same kind of rigorous approach to impact as our portfolio companies. I think there's relatively few private equity funds that are also B Corps. So that is a, a differentiator definitely. And I think the authenticity around impact and then everything Mike has been talking about in terms of our operational approach, that even in diligence, we are focused on, you know, adding value, understanding the key drivers of the business. And often that involves, you know, co-creation. So it might be, you know, a detailed market analysis. Like, for instance, during the Posigen diligence, we did a really in-depth uh, growth strategy analysis looking at new markets that then you know, in, advised our investment thesis, but becomes an output to the company that they can use to drive strategy going forward. So I think that really deep, uh, concentrated hands-on approach and the authenticity around impact are often what differentiate us. You know, it's interesting you say that it, it drives a lot of your returns and clearly in something like Posigen it does. Why do you think there's so few growth-oriented, you know, growth or buyout-oriented impact funds? Yeah, I think, you know, as the industry developed initially, sort of impact investing broadly, there is a focus on initially sort of emerging markets and that intersection with development finance institutions and then real assets. So farmland, timber, et cetera, and then venture capital. So there's been a proliferation of early stage venture funds, um, which I think in some ways, you know, the the promise of venture of these kind of world changing companies in some ways aligns well with impact right where where you're looking for that kind of catalytic change um, and and so this sort of growth segment has been emerging growth has been underinvested in um, and in some ways you know maybe it's less sexy than a high growth company but these are real businesses that are employing real people and having real impact um, and so we think that it's a huge opportunity for impact in the segment it's just been overlooked. Well, it's interesting you keep talking about purpose-driven and, and impact. And you talk about in some of your materials that we, we and I'm going to quote uh, you here, or, or I'm going to quote Builders Fund as you as representatives thereof. Uh, we must get back to investing in and building scalable and purpose-driven businesses, which improve the world versus simply extract wealth over the short term. And now this implies a time when capitalism was focused on long-term wealth creation. When do you think capitalism was focused on building meaningful companies for the long term and, and what changed? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a if there's a 
if there was an, an event that changed everything, it just feels like, you know, in maybe in, in the recent history of capitalism, it's become more focused on, on short-term value creation. Um, and maybe some of that is, you know, shorter term hold periods and funds. Um, you know, maybe the market has become more liquid. And so it's been easier to kind of trade in and out of companies. You know, I don't know. I'm not a historian on that. But but the feeling is that there has been not enough focus on long term value creation. And, and you know, if, and I look at some of our LPs, you know, a lot of, you know, those who come, come from family offices, they come from, you know, companies that were owned across multiple generations that were built you know, built and passed down. And maybe there was an exit event at some point, which now created this large family office. And, and I think the, if you think about holding companies for the very long term, I think you're more in tuned to the impact that you're having across all stakeholders. And so, you know, your, your, your suppliers, your customers, your employees, and your shareholders. And to the extent that you take care of all of them along the way, if you're going to hold a company for generations, that will generate better value for you for the long term. And so making short-term trade-offs to increase profitability today will often cost you profitability down the road. And what we're saying is that we really fundamentally believe that taking care of all of these stakeholders does generate more value creation, and we'd rather hold assets longer and see that value creation than, than be more focused on short-termism and, and, and today's quarter or today's annual number. How does that impact kind of structure fund or other things in terms of how you discuss builders fund with either your LPs or, or companies you buy? Yeah, we have a longer term hold, hold period, I think, than other funds. Um, you know, I haven't looked at the data, data recently, but, you know, when we look at it in the past, we were kind of two years longer than other funds on average. And we don't mind holding for the long term. We think it's also an, an effective investment strategy because you're not paying capital gains. You know, you're investing in, in companies and assets that you understand versus constantly recycling and ramping up on new companies and management teams and industries and all of those kinds of things. If you're into something, to hold it and build it for the long term, we believe generally generates more value. And, and I think that's also part of our pitch to, to entrepreneurs who are building their businesses is that we don't want to just come in, you know, make a couple of changes and flip your business. We're fine holding for the long term. And, and you know, we've got instances in, in, in our portfolios, you know, prior to Builders Fund where we've held assets for 15 years. Um, and, you know, you got to figure that out in your fund structure and, and all of those kinds of things. But we've been through that experience. And and we're fine holding great assets for a very long time. So it's hard to quantify some of these uh, thoughts and concepts around longer term holds, creating more productivity, better customer relationships, and it's almost intangibles. How do you quantify that into superior returns? I mean, I think in some ways, the quantification of this is a work in progress, right? I think there's a... There's a um, a breadth of historical experience from both Trip and Mike's prior firms that has informed this. And then some, you know, academic research around, for instance, like net promoter scores and uh, like cost of customer acquisition and employee retention and all of that, these kind of frameworks. I don't know that this has been connected, you know, one-to-one -one, like causality for investment returns, um, but it's an area of active inquiry for us about, uh, you know, because we have certain playbooks around these, around improving, you know, customer acquisition, retention, employee recruitment and retention, and um, 
So I think it's an area of active inquiry to, to quantify and to understand better the mechanisms through which those create value. Tell me about those playbooks. I think what we bring to the table is that, you know, you know, it, it's, it's again, this, this journey of, of going from a founder-led organization to one that's really led by, by culture and metrics and, and vision and purpose. Um, and so as companies go from, you know, again, that 20 million to 100 million, they just have to, they have to transition and the people that they hire and, and, and how they run their, how they run their, you know, their management teams, how they build a board, how they think about their customer relationships long-term, that pattern recognition or doing that time to time, whether it's a, it's a food company or a sustainable agriculture company or a, or a fitness company, that, that process is largely the same on how you build that brand with purpose. And, and, and we can just, you know, point to the dozens and dozens of brands that we've invested in over the last 20 years that have gone successfully on that journey. And we can bring people from those companies and, and, and place them in the companies, either in management roles or on the board or as co-investors with us to really, you know, guide these new firms on that journey. Now, market economists would argue that capital will flow to where the high returns are. Uh, can you talk about why others, in your opinion, are not as focused on purpose, despite this quantifiable upside from purpose-driven company building? Well, I, I think I can jump in with an initial thought. You know, I think impact investing, at least to begin with, has been focused on, I would call them product and service companies. So I think, you know, even Posigen is a great example of this, or fundamentally the product and service they provide has impact. There's maybe less focus on what is the way in which a company's operations deliver impact. So that's all these value chains we're talking about in terms of, you know, customer acquisition and retention, employee recruitment and retention. Um, and, you know, I think the way that this conversation is unfolded and it is difficult to quantify. I don't know that there is a, you can't put a number on purpose today. And so that's likely why the market is maybe not recognizing it. But I would also argue that, you know, their company purpose driven companies, you know, may have a, a, a premium in the market. So things like, I, I don't know, I think about like vital farms and app harvest and some of these companies that have gone public and have, have traded at really high multiples, um, Obviously, I don't. I haven't looked at the market today. I don't know what they're doing given the current situation. So today they're probably down, but that's okay. But you know, I think you you get my point. Where it's um, we we have seen that purpose can be a competitive advantage and ultimately lead to outperformance and trading at a premium. And, and, and Daniel, the other thing I'd add to that is I think um, I think it, the market is moving that way. I think the growth in the growth in the amount of capital that's going towards impact. I think. Uh, you know, even what, you know, large aggregators of capital are doing, there seems to be more focus there. And we welcome that. Um, we do think that, uh, you know, one of our, one of our, you know, visions as a company, as, as a firm is to really prove that capitalism is an enormous force for good and, and managing all these stakeholders, stakeholders and doing things in the right way will generate outsized returns. And, and I know we're not the only ones who believe that. And whether they're big firms or small firms, I don't think that we're on an island saying that. I think the market is moving that way, um, and you know, and, and I think that movement will accelerate. Well, you've actually been a leader in this. I mean, you've won a number of B Corp awards, including the Changemakers Award. Talk about you know winning that and what that meant for you and, and your portfolio and your your you know you are quantifying it by winning these awards. No, 
Yeah, I think one of the reasons we like the certified B Corp, the B Corp community, is that it is um, it's a framework for stakeholder responsibility, right? When you go through the B Impact Labs assessment, it forces a company to evaluate its impact across, you know, customers, across the environment, community. And it's a way to understand sort of these material impacts. And so we're, we're proud that, you know, our business model has aligned with what would seem to be, a, you know, an exemplary B Corp uh, among, um, among the B Corp community. And I think it also, again, gives us credibility in working with our portfolio companies towards this view of stakeholder responsibility through the, the B Corp uh, community. What I thought was really interesting about your B Corp report and it was that, um, you know, and your impact report actually gives all the B impact scores for each of your companies is that not all of your companies are in the plat- platinum bucket. Talk about how you think through the B Corp score as an adequate reflection of where you are today and where you're hoping to get to. Yeah, I think, Daniel, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and, and we don't want, uh, you know, perfection to be the enemy of good. And so, you know, we have to start somewhere um, and, and, and measuring them and measuring their improvement over time is really important for us. So, you know, in order to, to qualify to be a B Corp, you have to hit a certain score and then you can, you know, and then you can improve that score over time. So, you know, we build those met- metrics into our management compensation plans. We talk about them at board meetings. Each of our companies produces a annual impact report that we pass along to our own LPs. And, and we really track their performance over time. So they don't have to be perfect from day one. I don't think any company is. Um, and they, you know, but improvement is important to us. And we believe that as they improve, then, you know, it's, it's a better business and, and it's, a, it's better governance. And I would just add that it's, it's, uh, it's process oriented versus the output. So exactly what Mike was saying about improvement over time, that it's not necessarily about the, the number that comes out at the end of the day, but more about the conversations that you have when you go through this and you understand the impacts you're having across all of these stakeholders. Yeah, I think actually going through the process, particularly for companies who are going through it for the first time, it, it's really educational for them. It's not easy to go through. It's it's easy to go through an initial assessment. It's it's hard to go through kind of a full certification process. But the conversations that happen within those management teams, like, hey, we've never thought about this before. You know, what are other companies doing here? I think that, you know, I think that process and conversation is great for all businesses. And you talk about sort of having proprietary deal flow driven by your impact. How do you think about you know? sourcing these deals and then bringing them through, hey, nice to meet you. We're really excited by this. And by the way, here's this test you got to take about impact. How does that work? Well, first of all, the B community can be a source of proprietary deal flow. Um, so sometimes companies already are certified B Corps and that and they're you know attracted to us because we are also a certified B Corp. Um, so that's a way that we have identified potential investments. Since you're one of the few growth equity private equity firms that is a B Corp, and goes through the metrics. Talk about some of those deals. Like, can you talk about a few deals that sort of that were generated from that? Certainly, for instance, like traditional medicinals, which is our one of our portfolio companies, is really uh, sort of an exemplary B Corp. And I think a lot of companies in the B Corp space um, are familiar with traditional medicinals, really admire the business model, and we often get companies that come to us who know traditional medicinals business model or the management team and are coming to us because we are investors in that company. 
Um, and they are, you know, they just really admire the way that company has scaled its business. So that's an example, I think, of how that can drive deal flow. And, and I think, you know, you know, using that one as an example is, you know, when we invested there, we're really, you know, the, you know, we're the, we're kind of like the large outside investor in that uh, institutional investor in that company. And, you know, they could have chosen a lot of uh, firms to partner with. And I think the fact that, you know, we try to walk the walk and went through our own B Corp process and really aligned with them on, you know, wanting to support all the great things that they've been doing all along. I just think it, it just gives us an edge. Um, you know, where we're doing it ourselves, we're trying to get better at it. And when companies like that look to raise capital, I think we're one of the, the phone calls that they make. And one of the things you do uh, is you give 12% option pools uh, in each company to employees. And can you talk about that? What, what impact does it have both on, this, on the going in and coming out process? Yeah, and I think that's probably an I think that's an average uh, that we report in our own impact re, uh, report, and it really depends upon it depends upon the company, you know, how much is owned by management is man or by the founders or the founders still running the company, you know, how big is the company, what stage, all of those kinds of things play into it, and so we've got option pools that are bigger than that, we've got other option pools that are smaller than that, but there's always an employee option pool and. Um, and that goes, you know, beyond, you know, just the top employees of the company. It really, you know, in most cases trickles down all the way. Um, so I just think it creates alignment. Um, you know, I think employees who are shareholders are are, are, are better employees and, and, and they should win as the company wins. And so, yeah, and in all cases, we have a management pool and that's the average. The question to both of you, was there a person who inspired you? So my, my grandmother was an entrepreneur. She owned a small business. Uh, and you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm a numbers person. But, you know, growing up, I uh, she can do a lot of arithmetic in her head, um, you know, was great at closing the shop and managing inventory and, and doing all this stuff. So I think, you know, as a young as a young person, going and visiting my grandmother's store and watching her run her business was really impactful on, you know, what I thought was possible for myself and how I how I, what I saw as, as a potential future for, for me. That's a great story. Hopefully this will run pretty close to Mother's Day, but it'll be about a month from now. So. I'm sure she'll appreciate it whenever it comes out. <laughs> she'll, still, she'll still like this. We always give a shout out to mothers. Mike, do you have one to add or? Yeah, I, I think I'd add, um, actually my, uh, you know, um, one of my first big jobs out of uh, undergrad, I worked for a software company and, um, and we made, you know, we made financial services software for, for online home banking. And the two founders of that company, uh, Eric Jacobson and Dan Schley, you know, they they were very good at 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 bringing mission and purpose into this into this software company. Really, how they treated the employees and and how they had us think about you know the impact our product was having on others. And when that company was acquired, you know, they made they made a tremendous amount of capital, which became the first capital base of Dolphin Capital Group. And, and, you know, they, at that point, decided to invest their money in things that were inspiring and, and passionate. And, and, you know, they didn't need more returns in their life. They just wanted to have an impact. I think that had a big impact on me as we were building that firm and looking for the types of deal flow that we wanted. Um, you know, they, they wanted to do things the right way. And I think that just had a huge impact on me. The Builders Fund is closely tied with Gratitude Railroad and sort of building not just your own firm, but also the broader community. If you were to guesstimate, you know, that today there are probably, say, 80 members of ICM and a handful of B Corporation 
registered investment firms. If you could fast forward five years, um, how big, how is the market 2x, 3x, 5x, half where we are today? Yeah, so I think ICM was founded in 2018 with 25 initial members, and it's maybe 60 or 80 today. So say it's gone up, you know, 3x in the last four years. I, I would guess maybe let's call it 5x in five years. I think we can we can meet that. But let's maybe say that the current membership is really successful with their funds and we raise more follow-on capital. So there's more growth in AUM and slower growth in number of managers. And I and I'll take the over on that because I, I think also the these themes are are making their way into kind of the large asset aggregators of the world. And so it's moving from you know, smaller funds like us and smaller venture firms into these large financial services institutions with, you know, multi-billion dollar funds. I think the principles of what we're doing are making them, making their way kind of up the food chain, which I'm really excited about. And so if Catherine takes 5X, I'll take the over on that. And one last question before we end. Um, if you were the PR manager for, for ICM and, and, and related parties and you were to go make that pitch to big asset owner um, who's who's dipping their toe into impact and and what is your pitch for why their returns will be higher over the next five years than if they keep using traditional funds? I, I don't know. I think like the next five years are going to be different than the last five years. I do think we're at an inflection point and increasingly, you know, we, we've been in a market where kind of everything's been going up um, and, and we might be entering a, a new phase in which how you treat your customers, how you treat your employees, how you treat the environment may actually make a, a much more, I would, we would argue it already makes a material imp- impact on your business, but these, these factors are likely only going to be heightened. And the only thing I'd add to that is I think consumer preferences are changing. I think consumers care. Um, and I think that uh, that will drive the economy going forward. Customers want to work with companies that you know, care about their employees, they care about the environment, um, they care about how they treat their suppliers. I think, you know, more transparency uh, will be demanded and companies who figure that out and funds who identify those companies will generate better returns. Well, I, I hope I hope and pray that you are correct, Mike, and, and glad to see so many Stanford GSB alums and, and undergrads too, Catherine. We, won't, we don't want to dis- disregard those who we're undergrad Stanford physics majors, um, but but we do want to give a true shout out to the business school. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, no, I think I think actually Stanford's been integral in, in a lot of the, the movement, with the Stanford Social Innovation Review, and and really appreciate uh, Mike, Catherine, you both um, uh, being on and and uh, sharing how building purpose uh, built companies from the ground up is a competitive advantage for you in um, making capitalism a force for good. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Daniel. This is Marika Spence, Executive Director of Impact Capital Managers. Better Money, Better World is made possible in part by ICM, a nonprofit network of over 60 best-in-class fund managers investing for superior returns and meaningful impact across North America and beyond. Our members share a passion for partnering with entrepreneurs and scaling companies that will realize a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable future. If you enjoyed today's conversation, tune in for the next episode of Better Money, Better World. Tell your friends and visit us online at www.impactcapitalmanagers.com.